0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Econo Day Unplugged. It's Wednesday, 29th of September 2020. Mark Pender's across the pond stateside, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. For many months, it's been the COVID 19 pandemic that has inevitably been the dominant focal point for financial markets. But investors are now also starting to take note of apparently widening splits within a number of major central banks over how best to deal with the virus. In addition to differing views amongst FOMC members, recent days have seen a greater polarisation at the ECB over what to do next with policy, while the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee is still struggling to secure a consensus on whether. Negative interest rates would be a good thing or not for the UK economy. Against the current unprecedented global economic backdrop, this may not be too surprising, but with fiscal policymakers also typically lacking a coordinated strategy, it can't bode well for financial market stability. So, Mark, reflecting these disagreements, I guess, how's the latest COVID rescue proposals from the Democrats gone down your side? And do you think markets will take much notice of this first presidential election debate later today?
1: Yeah, with the latter, I'd say yes. Uh, It's going to be a very interesting um, uh, program. (laughs) Uh, And uh, I'm not sure there's going to be. Uh, discussions of things like uh, the financial markets, probably not too much. Certainly, there will be about uh, unemployment Mm -hmm. and uh, fiscal relief. Uh, Right now, the uh, the talks, as you say, have been revived. Uh, There's still, you know, um, it's too early to tell. Uh, if and what can be achieved, so uh, I'm not sure they're going to get the uh, there's going to be much market lift on that, uh, but um, uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, I think what's going to happen after uh, the debate, possibly, is that uh, whether or not it will change any minds, it'll start laying out. I, I think a more um, perhaps sober or some or a, a reasonable something that we can all look back on to and uh, and to dissect a little bit uh, you know um, the political year here has, has been so frenzied and and um, with uh, you were talking about polarization in the central banks, well, the polarization in the media here in the US is uh, extreme. Uh, it's hard to get any kind of a, a media outlet that's actually, uh, you know, uh, operating. Uh, <laughs> operating you know strictly on on, on common sense and reason e- everything has a big bias now in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the popular press uh and can i, I not tell me you
0: yeah. tell me do these typically speaking you know, from from previous election years do these debates tend to have much impact in terms of swaying public opinion or do you think by well, now people have generally made up their mind anyway
1: well, if, if we can go back to four years ago, uh, they didn't sway uh, much opinion at all. Uh, so uh, I'm, uh, I, I guess my answer to that is uh, unless there is some kind of dramatic um, event in the debate, uh, I would say uh, the tendency for this is to just secure uh, your own base or to uh, a, a, the viewer will find what they want to find. Uh, in, in their support so um, I'm not sure that uh, what we can uh, expect uh, any like I say any big upheaval but at least I think it'll give us uh, in their exchanges um, uh, something concrete to hold on to and and uh, and economically there might be bits and pieces here too that will help us in our um, uh, picking apart of uh, what the outlook is not only for um, a policy, but also uh, you know, for sentiment, um, uh, and uh, and what to expect? What are we going well, you know what what should we expect uh, going into the election? I doubt that we'll we'll get a big um, fiscal package <laughs> getting passed uh, in uh, this environment uh, between now and the election. Um, so I think it's going to be a little bit of a of a in between area. For and this pop- fis-
0: can I ask you, this fiscal package, is it the case that if the if um, the White House was seen to accept the Democrats' proposal, that it was seen as being a plus for Joe Biden? Or is it more the case, oh, good, a fiscal package has gone through, you know, the White House has basically been overseeing the thing, therefore it's going to be good news for the Republicans?
1: Well, I… I I kind of doubt uh, that unless it w- uh, no one wants to give in and I don't think anyone would 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 want yeah. to appear to give in. Um, so if there could be uh, uh, you know a, a harmonized uh, agreement between the two, but I have it, it's been too contentious as you know and it hasn't eased or, or cooled off. And um, and another question is how much substance will this debate uh, actually, contain. I mean, I, I'm hopeful that it will, but uh, there's always the possibility that it could become personal or it could get involved in, in uh, issues aside from uh, economics. Um, and uh, but whether or not it's going to make a, a major swing in the polls, I wouldn't know. Uh, I would, but I would uh, doubt it based on um, on what's happened in the past with presidential debates.
0: Mm. Fair enough. All right. We get back to the proper economics then, I suppose, which ultimately ought to have some bearing upon how folks uh, vote. Um, Friday, payroll day. What's going to happen?
1: Payroll day. OK, let me get over there in my economy day calendar here. And uh, we're talking about October 2nd and the employment situation and uh, the economy day consensus here as, uh, as it comes up is, uh, 900,000 uh, gain right now for non-farm uh, payrolls, that would follow a 1.4 million uh, in the prior month, and that was inflated by census um, uh, several hundred thousand uh, on the census numbers. So um, it's that theme again that we've been seeing, um, is uh, the labor market uh, recovery slowing too quickly Considering the catastrophe that had happened, oh. uh, you know, uh, in, in April and May, um, is that – and based on uh, a non-farm – uh, based on weekly unemployment claims, they haven't really been moving. They've settled in in the last four weeks into the high 800,000 area, which is four times – more than four times where it was uh, before the virus. So there's a lot of churning, a lot of people losing their jobs, a lot of businesses still going out of business. But as long as that happens um, and uh, payroll recovery is slowing, there's that, I think, concern, major concern that – the uh, that the the recovery is going to slow down too quickly and that there's going to be a significant body of uh, labor that is not uh, going to return um to the uh, labor force anytime soon and uh, that would be a big negative um for the country i mean just t- this morning we had goods trade uh and advance released on, on that, and that showed uh, a really significant, very, very significant um, monthly gap in imports and exports of goods of 82 billion, $82.9 billion um, in the month of August. That follows in, uh, in $80.1 billion um, uh, deficit in uh, July. These are $20 billion more – per month than they usually are and what's happened is that x ex- imports are, are almost back to where they were in fact i think they have recovered uh from february they're up by 1.5 percent from february so mm-hmm. imports have have fully recovered which is a good sign uh that uh, domestic demand is up yep. and, and actually domestic demand for capital goods is up which is a good sign for business but it's there's more negatives in this report than positives because exports are still lagging considerably. They're down 7.2 percent still from um, from uh, February, and and that's where you're seeing this uh, inflation of the uh, deficit, and you know this something else that the U.S. economy is fighting right now uh, is the uh, de- global demand for U.S. goods uh, has uh, slipped. Uh, or significantly, and is yet to recover. So that could be, and that's not only going to hurt GDP, but that's going to hurt employment. That's going to hurt manufacturing employment. So uh, uh, right now, I don't want to. You know, it's not doomsday. Uh, we are on a recovery path, uh, but uh, it's not. It, it's not a terribly. It's not. It's not a fast recovery path. And uh, it, and the longer it goes, the more. Uh, labor issues uh, that we will probably have. And more distant, anything like inflation averaging or worried about price pressures or anything like that will become.
0: All right. Well I guess it's got to be said from my sort of part of the world you know one of the key reasons why perhaps your exports aren't growing as quickly as they might do is because of the you know continued weakness of domestic demand pretty well across Europe at the moment and in some parts doing a little bit better than others like Germany appears to be doing reasonably well now but nonetheless it would seem that the recovery taking place within continental Europe and the UK is a good deal slower than you're seeing on your side of the water and that's obviously you know reducing demand for US exports below where it might otherwise have been. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's this, you know, it is the sluggishness, as you were talking a little bit earlier about, the worry is what's going to happen to um, unemployment or employment, whichever way you want to look at it, if the recovery doesn't, you know, maintain some kind of decent momentum. And that, I think, in terms of where it comes from the intro, I think it's been reflected more and more of some of the official policy comments coming out now. And indeed, we've had a number from the ECB, an unusually large number, really. Which does suggest there are some fairly significant splits now on the uh, the governing council as to what they should do with their their pandemic emergency purchase programs they call it, you know, the PEP as people uh, shortened it too. And there's been certainly calls from some quarters that they should raise it from its what current 1.35 trillion euros to as high as two trillion by the end of this year, just. Uh, take on board the fact that the recovery is progressing too slowly
1: others it, it, are, is this is this i'm sorry is this a um asset purchase uh, program this it is
0: so this is the main part of their quantitative easing program now so this is the one which gives them much more flexibility over the old what they used to call they still call their app the original asset purchase program this is the one which was put together purely and simply to deal with uh, the covid19 crisis and it's been the program Around the fund that they've been using primarily um, in terms of their quantitative easing over the course of the last several months. So their traditional asset purchase program, the APP, has been running at about 20 billion or so a month um, for what the best part of this year now, whereas the, uh, the- the PEP is, although it's flexible, so it's not a, not a monthly target per se, uh, mm-hmm. it's been running at you know, several times that. So, the, the principal tool they're using on the asset purchase program now, or the, the quantitative easing side, is this so called PEP program. Um, and, yes, yeah, I well, mentioned, it, so, it, it, yeah. and what are they buying? Oh, they're buying. Also, um, their buying is still mainly government securities, but they've also been buying government bonds. So there's a re, there's a range of available instruments they can purchase with this thing. And indeed, it's broader than we've seen under the older the asset purchase program, which is a bit more narrowly defined. But it's still the case it's very much government securities which have been um, you know the principal beneficiaries. And within that, if you look at the geographical breakdown, and certainly the lights of Spain and particularly Italy have been faring you know particularly well, which is kind of what you'd expect Mm -hmm. um and again we're going back to you know disagreements on the policy board as well should we be increasing it some some folks thinks yes most definitely we should do because the economy is not doing well enough unemployment hasn't gone up too far so it's too too far at the moment, but the rate of increase is like to pick up as we go through um, year end. Others are saying, well, look, we haven't done that badly. I think, you know, we should hang on and just stay where we are because the PEP still has plenty of room left in it. Um, and others have actually been talking about, well, they're getting concerned that this PEP could become something to be regarded as being a permanent programme since most of the, uh, you know, the work of QA is being done through that now. And so they want to see more use being made of the old asset purchase programme. But that might mean it has become more flexible and the Hawks don't like the idea of that. So all in all, uh, Christine Lagarde, who's known as, be, known as being diplomatically very astute, um, she's got you know, a real battle on her hands at the moment to try and keep the, uh, the governing council together. So the next couple of meetings or so from the from the ECB are going to be interesting. And the next one's due on where are we? October the 29th. And then mm. the next probably important one when they'll update their economic forecast to on December the 10th. So, I suspect quite a lot of speculation about something might be happening around either of those dates, particularly the December meeting.
1: Now, you were saying about the BOE now, uh, their uh, conflict or their polarization or, or contrast is in going negative rates.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think we talked about on the podcast, was it a month or so ago now that, and it was a bit of a surprise at the time, Andrew Bailey, the Bank of England governor, who before he became governor had made it, you know, patently obvious he was not a fan of uh, negative interest rates. Um, but he changed his tune, or seemed to change his tune, what a month or two ago, and started intimating, well, look, you know, perhaps negative interest rates should not be ruled out because you know we've got this huge downturn taking place in the economy now. Everything's got to be considered, um, and that got the market really thinking about I. This is setting the scene for you know interest rates. So bank rate in the UK, the benchmark rate, is currently 0.1 percent. That's a record low, anyway. Um, but perhaps it's going to go into in, you know, go below zero. And then over the course of the last couple of weeks, um, it would seem that Bailey's kind of backtracked. And he said that, well, nothing's hmm. being ruled out, but we're not convinced yet that um, you know, negative interest rates are necessarily the right instrument uh, to be using at this time. Hmm. And, th- and then one of the um, external experts, Tenrero, who is uh, one of the more dovish members, twice now in the last what, two or three weeks, she's come out and said, looking at you know, the evidence of continental Europe, where well, we do have negative interest rates obviously, the you know, DCB's deposit rate is down at minus 0.5. The Swiss National Bank, their equivalents at minus 0.75. She takes a view that the evidence from that is it's actually been quite beneficial to those mm-hmm. economies. So perhaps we should do it. So you know, bottom line is it does seem that you know, within these central banks now, perhaps simply because we're in such a, you know, an unprecedented economic backdrop that policymakers mm-hmm. simply don't know what to do. What mm-hmm. is the right thing to be doing? And I guess, of course, good old fiscal policy in Europe is always uh, something of a right royal mess. Um, and so today, then, we get a European Union. They'll be having their diplomats chatting about this proposed link to the, uh, the disbursements from the bloc's budget and this COVID recovery fund that we've talked about quite a lot. Linking mm. those to the you know, rule of law stand or standards or, or moral standards. Now, back in July... When this Covid recovery fund was actually agreed at the last minute by all these EU leaders, they accepted in principle that this sort of mechanism would be created. But as ever, the proverbial devil's in the detail. And as we've seen with Hungary, it's made plain that trying to get all the 27 EU members to sign off on this isn't going to be easy. Um, I mean germany 's got sort of the presidency of the eu at the eu at the moment, so they 'll be trying to drive this thing forward. but as we said before, you know, on the current timetable, the measures you know the actual allocation of any funds are not expected to begin until the beginning of next year, but they can 't get the you know, the program signed off on in the first place then mm-hmm. you know, it 's not simply not going to happen so we 're back to the poor old um, ECB again, thinking, look, you know, what else have we got to do here?
1: Now, what about individual uh, uh, countries in their own uh, labor force uh, stimulus and support measures?
0: There's quite a lot. I mean, as, as we've talked a bit about in the past, I mean, the bulk of the, the kind of fiscal stimulus across Europe to date—I say the bulk, but by far and away the bulk—has come from individual national countries, which have just pushed their deficits through the through the roof. They're not worried about this old 3% target, or sorry, 3% ceiling, I should say, on the deficit to GDP targets um, uh, laid down anymore. So we've seen huge amounts of spending, particularly out of the likes of Germany, which perhaps is one reason why it appears to be outperforming at the moment. But France, Italy, Spain, Greece, they've all seen their budget deficits going through the roof. But what we still haven't seen at this stage is this coordinated fiscal policy you know, coming out of the EU commission, which is you what know, it's desperately trying to do at the moment.
1: You know, last week you uh, wrote on uh, the UK public sector finance um, yep. report on Friday that uh, – The underlying, I don't quite, I'm not sure, underlying debt, UK debt at, uh, it looks like uh, two trillion, no, what is that? We're Uh, just
0: over 100% of GDP now.
1: 100% of GDP. Now, that's the total amount of UK public debt? Yeah, that's that's public
0: sector debt, yeah. So that's
1: corporate bonds or municipal things or what?
0: It's it's everything. it's It's everything. All public sector debt, yeah. Wow, so it okay. includes debt provided both by central government, by local authorities and everything.
1: Well, that's uh, a big looking number. I mean, where's that number? It need? is. I mean, it
0: is. And it's going up. I mean, wherever you look, I mean, it's going. It's, you know, it's starting to go through 100 percent. Where you're not at 100 percent yet, you're probably going to see it. And it simply comes down to the fact that all these governments, uh, you think about the size of public sector deficits now. In one month, we're getting borrowing, which used to be, well, probably, it's probably more than the entire previous year. So these numbers are being hugely inflated. Um, And the question is, it is it's the old age problem. Once we start seeing these numbers get really big, how are the governments actually going to get it back in the first place? And I can't help wondering if we're not going to have to see some form of monetization of this debt
1: uh,
0: at some point. Now, this is something, of course, no one's going to say, oh, no, we never do that. Never do that. Mm -hmm. But if we see this crisis continuing mm-hmm. you know, well into next year and these governments are simply, well, look, we've got to keep bailing out the economy. Well, what are you going to bail it out with?
1: Mm-hmm. Currency so, depreciation. It could be an en masse currency depreciation. Yeah, I mean, but Trump's, we, Trump's, we can't
0: um, all depreciate at the same time. That's, <laughs> that's the problem with that one. So you can kind yeah. of wonder if it's going to be a case that you know, these central banks at the end of the day say, right, OK, we'll print the money, whatever's needed to pay, you know, to pay it off.
1: Yeah, but you know, the short term is so severe and and everyone's in the same boat, so it doesn't seem like anyone has um uh you know any options. So it'll be interesting, Histori- you know, the historians can look back and and we'll see if this wasn't just the beginning of some yeah. um uh, incredibly inflationary uh episode uh for the uh you know, and it's an exogenous effect which they had always talked about uh policymakers have always talked about, uh, you know, kind of like the meteor, uh, you know, destroying the dinosaurs, and here it is, it's this virus that came out of nowhere, and um, and, is, and has inflicted this incredible uh, damage to the global financial system, but you would never know it looking at the NASDAQ, for instance, so. You
0: know. Oh, indeed, I mean, you think of one thing you can say, <laughs> I suppose, you know, all credits for the central banks, now you can say, okay, perhaps the NASDAQ should not be where it is at the moment, but if you think about how the central banks have actually managed to keep financial markets working smoothly now you can say perhaps they're working too smoothly and there's too much money going where it doesn't belong in the first place but what we haven't seen is a massive implosion you know of equity markets and things like that which has completely undermined financial wealth uh-huh. so you know all credit to the central banks for at least keeping that side of it going even uh-huh. if perhaps you know it is at the expense of some problems in the future
1: yeah yeah
0: um, talking of problems of the future, round, off, round this off, I suppose, from just from my side, from the UK, um, we've been talking previous weeks about, you know, the furlough. Um, program over here which has been helping to keep the unemployment numbers down and indeed across Europe as well. Well that was due to end in uh, back end of October and as of last week the Chancellor of Exchequer so-called over here he announced his winter economy plan which still means it will be ending um, at the end of October. Now this is the so-called job retention scheme which effectively subsidize employees to, to retain employees even though they weren't doing anything and that's being replaced by a so-called job support scheme scheme now this essentially still means that the government's going to be subsidizing employment but really it just means that so long as workers are working some of the time for a company the government together with the employer to get the employer will pay the bulk of the wages um, to make up the hours when it's not where they're not actually working so it's uh if you like it's a cheaper programme as far as the government's concerned than the old one but it won't do anything to actually help those who are already unemployed because they don't have a job in the first place so I think you know this will be the first step towards seeing UK unemployment begin to accelerate and there's a lot of you know potential warning signs coming out of retail industry the service sector in particular at the moment so I think as we start heading towards the end of this year we will see some bad numbers. This new programmes due to run through now until the what the end I think is of April 2021.
1: Yeah. Well, the, so, how yeah. is COVID going in Europe now? It's uh, you read. You, it, it looks like it's on the rise, and there's more countries uh, in the red zone. Um, but you uh, are, are you are there? Uh, you're having a significant shutdown in the the northwest uh, part yeah. of England. Cut, is that right? Cut,
0: Covid is bad news right across Europe at the moment. We went through a period, you know, go back, what, a month or so ago. And if you looked at media on Covid, all the bad stuff seemed to be coming well out of out of, America, out of the Americas, bit North America or or South America. Now I know parts of certainly South America are still doing badly. Your numbers don't look too clever, but Europe, having seen the numbers come down a long way, are now is now seeing the figures escalate substantially. So we're seeing record levels of new cases in France, record levels in Spain, and increases. I think it's right to say in every single country now.
1: And what is the medical community saying? Are, are, they, are, they, are they are they with? I'm sorry. Are they Withstanding this, or well, they-
0: I, I think yeah, you know, they're kind of stating the obvious, saying that you know, as a result of relaxation of the previous COVID restriction measures. There was more mingling going on, there was was less social distancing in some cases, and it simply led to the virus to start spreading again. So for the UK now, um, a number of new measures have been taken, as you mentioned, particularly up in the north of the country and in Wales, where things have been particularly bad. But um, I think, as we record this, what round about a quarter of the UK population now is essentially back under lockdown again. Mm. And, expectations are that there could well be more to come over the next few
1: weeks but they're going to work or they're at working well Uh, what's happening to production
0: um well production i mean i suppose uk and europe a bit like your side and production is going in the right way it's certainly been increasing as you would most definitely hope however um, you know, the rate of growth has slowed, which I mean, you would expect simply because the economy is getting that much bigger. But nonetheless, it does seem as if the, uh, the slowdown is coming through rather sooner than most people anticipated. And the worry is that it's going to start plateauing when we've got GDP, you know, still what double digits below where it was before the coronavirus hit in the first place. And hence back to, well, you know, what are the policymakers going to do? Hence the talk that, you know, the ECB may have to do more. There may be some more fiscal policy loosening coming out but either way as far as Europe's concerned at the moment um, it doesn't look as if it's going to be a winter of great content it's more like to be discontent
1: and oh, just speak, things, yeah. speaking of great content we just have a gargantuan jump as we speak in the conference board uh, consumer confidence survey to 101.8. I'm posting that now. Isn't this oh. an exciting moment for our podcast? But it is. Am I misreading this? Or it's 101.8. It's uh, okay. So that's <laughs> that is a vast, huge jump now. But what's interesting about this index, however, and in all the consumer readings here in the U.S., been very depressed, very subdued. Unlike spend, at least uh, retail spending, uh, it has never revived until we see this number here so uh, a 101.8 that's that's a dozen points above economy's uh, top estimate and this is a very widely uh, uh, predicted and closely watched uh, report so On which, no,
0: I had better let you get on and write all about
1: it. Let me just see. One last little thing here. We started with the employment report. Well, there's one reading in here that gets a lot of focus on the employment report for the forecasters, and that's jobs job's hard to get. Oh, oh, but that's – okay, that's down. Okay, so that's down, so that's going to help – that's going to help the estimate. So there's good news today. I'm sure that'll boost everyone's. Excellent. It's
0: not often we'll be able to finish this thing on good news. So yeah, I yeah. shall let you get back to your intellectual writing.
1: I <laughs> will. Thank you. Listeners, listeners do
0: tune in. Look at the economy Day calendar even more closely <laughs> than usual because this is fascinating. And on which note, then I will I will end it there. Um, we'll call it a day for this week. On behalf of the now rapidly scribbling Mark and myself, thanks as ever for listening. Um, We'll be back next week when our Asian expert, Brian Jackson, will be joining us. And in the meantime, remember, keep up to date with all the key market moving data and events in O'Connor global economic calendar. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.